It's Tuesday, October 29th, 2019, and you're listening to episode 528 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 45 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. And I'm Dale. All right, we are still in the Fear the Con Kickstarter. Yep, I am really excited about one of the backer award ideas I had had. And this is something we created at the, it's almost like I was there level, which is mm-hmm. trying to create things for people that want to help us get the con going, but aren't actually going to be there. I had this idea, people are always asking, what do you put into game notes? How do you do your game prep? How do you run a con game? Things like that. So at this level, what we're doing, and this is going to all the levels higher, too, because if we make the content, we might as well give it out there. So those of us that are running uh, backer level games, at least myself, Dan, Erica said he'll be involved in this, and so is Brodor. We're going to do an episode before the con where we sit down and we talk about, here's what I've done to get ready for my game. Here's my ideas. Here's what I'm nervous about and giving each other advice on it and just that build up beforehand. Then after we actually run the game at the con, we're going to come back and do another episode that is also a bonus episode. That's here's how the game went. Here's our postmortem. Here's what went well. Here's what didn't go well. When these get released, all of our game notes that we've done, all of our prep, this is going with it too. So it gives that glimpse into the mind of these people that are running games at the con. Outside of even being a backer level reward, I just think this is a really cool idea. Are these recordings only for the people who fund at that level? Yes. Ooh, interesting. So I think it's this really good exploration. I, I'm really excited about the idea. Mm-hmm. So let's make the con happen so we can have this happen. <laughs> yeah, and as Wayne noted, there are some rewards up there now that are getting added for people that cannot attend the con or are also still there for people who can. We're bringing back Brostradamus from Fear the Con <laughs> Online. When he was doing that, I had completely lost my voice. I mean, I could not utter a sound and just that descent into madness. I was cracking up for four hours straight. And at one point I did have to unmute and say something. I don't remember what it was, but he started carrying on about something and I had to unmute and talk. But holy crap, that was funny. So I'm going to sit in on that. I, it's... <laughs> Because it is, it was that funny, man. I, I don't even know how to describe it. I wish I had recorded it. Yeah, we're going to do that one on the Discord, just like the original one was. So anyone that's not coming to the con can still back at that level and take part. Thought about doing it as an after-hours event, but kind of doing it on the Discord works better for him. Because I t- talked to over with Brodor, mm-hmm. and he liked doing it over the Discord, and he can get really drunk and wasted over the Discord <laughs> and not have to go home or go back to the room afterwards. Mm-hmm. So Discord it was. Where are we at right now with the uh, Kickstarter? Oh, we're at a uh, little over 95%. Uh, we are less than $200 away from completely funding the con and then working on uh, our stretch goals. Stretch goals, yeah. And that's as of this recording. So hopefully by the time it actually drops, that will be well over that. Because once again, some of those stretch goals, I mean, we can do the con on the base budget. But some of those stretch goals to me are kind of important moving pieces of the convention experience. Not necessary. Mm-hmm. But they're ones we haven't done in the past. So our topic for today, we're going to talk about something that has an interesting source of inspiration, which is Wayne, you got to meet some folks at a local convention that homebrewed a game that led to a fairly well-known story that no (laughs) gave me a signed poster from these people. 
Oh, oh yeah, that was part of it. I thought about that after the fact. <laughs> that wasn't the inspiration, but that is part of it. Yes. Well, that's that's a pretty big. This thing. is your story, man. So all right. Yeah. So for anyone, okay. So anyone who's and you make fun of me for this. Yeah, <laughs> I okay. do. Uh-huh. So you for, me off guard. That wasn't where I originally came up uh-huh. with the idea. It's just yeah. So for apparently everyone but me, Chris, could you please get in touch with Wayne on stroke recovery advice? <laughs> what to do after toast? <laughs> Okay, where this actually came from. Well, let me now. I got to yeah. give the story. All right, so Wayne went to a convention. Actually, I think everyone at this table, but me went to the convention. Maybe you didn't. I don't know, Dale. Yeah, he was there. He was there. Okay, so just I was there. Me. While they were there, Wayne sat in on a panel with the two individuals that make up James S. A. Corey. Yeah, James S. A. Corey. All right, so for anyone where that name's not ringing a bell. James S.A. Corey is the name that the Expanse novels are attributed to. And the Expanse then became a TV show on the Sci-Fi Channel and is, is now... It sci-Fi? Or did they... Is it yeah, Siffy? Yeah. It they, was... they changed it back. Oh, no, it's still Siffy. Yeah. yeah, it was on Siffy. Now it's going to, to Amazon, Amazon Prime. Prime. Yeah, so it's about... Oh. And the next season launches within like a couple of weeks yeah. or something. Yeah, But yeah, it, it's a show about near space exploration about there's like colonies on Mars and colonies like out in the asteroid belts and things like that. They don't have faster than light travel, but it's mostly a story that flips back and forth between a human story amongst the crew and a political story about Mm. the maneuvering between earth, Mars and these independent groups that collectively call the belters. Gotcha. And so it's a really neat show, but it's based on some novels and the novels were based on a, semi-homebrewed role-playing game. All right, so... So one of the two writers, he had created this idea for a video game that never panned out, so he started running it with his home role-playing game group. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other writer just happened to play one of the characters in that game. For anyone that is a fan of the series, he played Miller. So after the panel, I asked him the question of, you know, hey, what system did you run it in? You know, something like Traveler. And he's like, you know, a lot of people think that, but no... I ran it in D20 Modern, but I just made up all the space rules myself because it didn't really have anything for that. What is D20 Modern? So D20 Modern during... What is D20 Modern? I've never... Okay, so so before you say it, sure, I'm going to assume what D20 Modern is. It's Dungeons and Dragons, the rules, only without Dungeons or Dragons, but with guns and techs. That, that is... Bam! Yeah, that yeah. is basically it. So what D20 Modern I've was... I've never played it or read anything about was it. Was that relatively early on in the open gaming license, and mm-hmm. when the D20 brand was still available, the OGL is still in effect, but you can no longer brand things D20. That got pulled. But when that was still relatively young, they decided to make an, a, a version of the rules that was designed for machine guns instead of swords. Yeah, cars and things like that. Is there, a, is there you know how D&D has like an implicit setting? It has multiple explicit settings, but just the base game has an implicit setting? Does modern day, modern, this world. Modern day, oh, so there's no implicit setting or anything like that. Well, I mean, I suppose there's the implicit setting that comes from the nature of the rules. Mm. I mean, if you have... Some militaristic sort of thing. Well, uh, more than that, I was going to say just from the nature of the power incrementing Mm. of the characters and Mm. things like that. I mean, just like in D&D, it gets to be a little bit weird that somebody can take that many sword stabs (laughs) and still walk around. And in the same way, I mean, you're Mm. sort of... I mean, it wasn't the exact same rules, but... Yeah. Yep. The it idea, wasn't far off. Yeah, though. the idea, though, is it's a generic game system that you would run a modern-day game in. Yeah. But your players would be familiar with the rules. Because yeah, well, and that was the yes. idea of the okay. entire D20 thing was to 
narrow the RPG field because the thought process behind it was one of the hurdles to getting people into RPGs was the amount of stuff to learn. Mm -hmm. So if they could learn once and apply everywhere, so the thought process went, it would get more people into the hobby. And that had, I think, somewhat mixed results. Sure. But that's a different topic for another time. Anyway, so... To expand a bit more, it had rules for it to do magic. So that way you could basically run a Dresden game in D20 Modern. It had rules for running cybernetics so you could run a Shadowrun game mm-hmm. yeah. in D20 Modern. There were supplements that were added yes. to Modern to let but it you wasn't, do just about anything. It just wasn't made so that those are all options. Yes, so, like, but, if the four of us made characters and you made a cop, I made a military guy, you made a mercenary, but Dan made a magic-wielding cyber ninja, it would be, like, really off the range. They were designed to work together, so it would work. It would, but, it, it would but, mechanically balance, but it would thematically be off the range. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So it was a D20 modern game. Everything except for the space combat and the sp- you know actual space stuff. That was all a completely homebrewed system because nothing out there met what he was mm-hmm. envisioning, what he had in mind. And by the way, one of the worst parts of every Star Wars RPG I've played, the space rules that they try to shoehorn into D20, mm-hmm. they do not work mm-hmm. at all. Ooh, I've never. I've tried a couple of them, and I've not found any iteration yet that I think actually plays well. So this it gets you thinking about the question of a lot of people will do complete homebrew rules for everything, but do you really have to create an entire homebrew system if one system you enjoy and it meets ninety percent of your game? Can you just homebrew individual mechanics or homebrew sections of things? Yeah, let me start with a precursor point here. Which is, I think for some people, the question is not, do you have to, but do you want to? Right. Because, I mean, there are people out there, the role-playing hobby is, by its very nature, a creative one. And I think there are some people out there who enjoy playing with the rules and playing with the math just as much as somebody else might enjoy creating a setting or creating characters. And so, for some people, that just may be their thing. They love game theory. They love playing with the numbers. They love the idea of trying to unpack how to simulate something or an idea. And maybe that's where the decision is or opposite. Maybe you've got someone who hates the math, who hates the system, who hates the crunch. And so they're going to go to any length possible to find a game system they can use. They don't want to homebrew, even if in truth, homebrewing is the correct answer to what they're setting out to do. Or somebody just doesn't have the time. They are writing the game, the story, the characters, all that sort of stuff. I have gone off on modules before in the show, and I have had people come at me and say, I don't have time to write the story. These people aren't going to write rules. No. Or module parts of rules, or write a story, or their own characters. Yeah. And they're going to run a great game. All of us have different amounts of time. Sure, sure. We have different time, we have different interests, we have different Mm -hmm. talents. But I, I just wanted to make that point up front that having to... And I realize that's probably how we're going to shorthand a lot of these concepts. But having to may not be the question so much as wanting to mm-hmm. or not wanting to. But right. yep. So what really inspired this for me, though, that was something I remembered after I was inspired was out on Facebook was talking about the con. I talked about I had all of these horrible game ideas you know, just keeping the conversation going that uh, I'll probably never run, but here's some of the horrible ideas I had. And somebody actually asked the question of, you know, well, whatever happened to years ago, 
you were talking about running a Power Rangers game on the podcast at one of the Fear the Cons that it was the Fear the Con that didn't happen because the Maryland Heights Community Center got oh, torn down and built yeah. run back up. So when they asked that, I mean, I made the comment of I just don't think there's be much interest in it. But I got I started thinking about it. I remember when, at the time I had talked about, well, what rule system would be good for this? And it got me really thinking about homebrewing and the ideas behind what is important to me about Power Rangers as a genre or let's say it was the expanse what is important to me about expanse as a genre and i think that that's the first step sit down and come up with your list of or at least in your head brainstorm your list what's important you know what is what are you trying to do then you can look and say does a system meet this does a system not meet this does a rule set meet this or not so like i went through kind of my list of well there's got to be a lot of minions that they can easily defeat that's a given the villains have to be able to take on a whole team. They have to have a big weapon or a blazing sword that their robot uses, but they can never use it right away. <laughs> they have to have individual mechs that join into something big. They have to have secret identities. And I kind of went down that list and I started thinking each one, what would I do with it? Yeah. And then I got to think about Skies of Glass. And you've made this whole system beginning to end and you wanted it to be a gritty game, a fairly realistic game. And I started looking at how do you do that? When you're looking at how to do something, you can either look for how do I simulate it or how do I get the feel from it? Yeah, let me, I'll actually walk you through a really simple look at how the current iteration of the Skies of Glass rules were first kicked off. Because the the original one, I think it was a bit clunkier and it, it started off with an idea we still use, which was stacking wounds instead of dealing with hit points so you're not dealing with damage numerically you're dealing with with it in terms of descriptive consequence i felt the system one got a little bit too unnecessarily gory i mean it just was a little bit over the top yeah. because you have to start Pretty getting visceral. yeah you have to start getting into collapsed lungs and it, mm. it's just it, it wasn't necessary but the second thing it really made you not want to get into fights yeah it, <laughs> it, it, it worked in that regard but then the second thing was it didn't really deal with the diversity of types of injury. You know, is a level eight wound to the chest always a collapsed lung? Right. Or do we now need a chart of similar injuries? I mean, it's, it's come on, where does this end? Yeah. So where I, I started with the current balancing of the rules was if I assume that everything is pegged to about 10, that's your top number for most mm -hmm. things. That works out pretty well in 2D6. Okay, so if you've got an ability that's between 2 and 10, 2D6 falls into that range pretty cleanly. And the nice thing about 2D6 versus 10 is 2D6 has a 3 and 36 chance of going over that and a, what, 6 and 36, a 1 and 6 chance of hitting it. Okay, so now how I worked back from that was saying, well, for combat scaling, what is the low level of what ought to be lethal. So what are the, oh, we're not talking about point blank with a shotgun, okay, but a pistol, a knife, a hardened club, you know, so what are the things that could kill somebody, even if it's not super, super likely in a single hit, and boom, those get pegged at 2d6. And now since it all scales up from that, and the lowest level is, has a 6 and 36 chance of killing you if you're unarmored, 
then you know everything else scales out from there. But the point being, though, that I started with an intended effect, and the yep. intended effect was that a modest amount of damage was potentially lethal. And even if not lethal, was mathematically, let's go to the middle of that range, a seven, that's still highly injurious. You know, you're not going to get shot or stabbed or brained with a club. And even if you survive, you're not going to be feeling good afterward. Mm. Well, And that really hits on kind of my point about you looked at it for what is the feel you want to get out of it. You can do that a couple different ways. And the way you picked is based on the consequence, right? Yeah. which is a great way to do it. It really makes us not want to get into a combat mm. because the well, consequences are. So I got to give a minor correction there. Yeah. It's not a matter of to make the players not want to yeah. get into combat. It is to make them think and consider right before they do. Whereas in D and D you just run in until you get filled yep. up with arrows and st- and stabs and spells and say, like, oh, I, got, yeah. I got three hit points. Maybe we should pull back. Well, and th- and the one- important thing is that once it's done, you are sticking with those consequences. Yes. You have penalties throughout. You could have gone another route and made the actual shooting. There were a lot of mechanics into that, make mm-hmm. that real gritty. But that wasn't the important part of the feel you were going for. And I think that's one of the questions you have to ask yourself when you're picking a mechanic and trying to design something is, what is the feel you're going for? And is it better to simulate or is it better to go for the feel? Right. How realistic do you need to be versus mm-hmm. what do you want the feel to be? Yeah. I look at Dread as a great example. Mm-hmm. Dread doesn't simulate anything. No, not a thing. Your character, my character... You may be the big, strong person, but you that doesn't make you any more likely to be successful. It's how good am I at Jenga versus how good are you at well, Jenga? Well, I, th- no, I think Dread does simulate something. And you guys made a similar comment. I want to say it was about fate. I, I don't remember because I was paying attention to like three things simultaneously. But when we were at dinner, uh, you guys mentioned another game you said that you felt didn't do a good job of simulating. But I think they do simulate. But I think what they simulate is what we are talking about here which is a metagame concept. Right. You know, what Fate does an excellent job, or let's take Dresden specifically, the Dresden iteration of Fate, what it does a great job of simulating is the ebb and flow and attention and inattention that comes with storytelling. You know, for example, if you're playing a character who's a normal human, Mm -hmm. what is your simulated power? Well, you get more Fate chips. You get more ability to influence the circumstances well, why does that happen in a story somebody's telling? Yeah. There are super villains who know who Bruce Wayne is and where to find him. I know there are a handful of storylines, but broadly speaking, why have they not gone after Alfred? And when Alfred's yeah. there, why is it he typically has some tough old man thing to do? I mean, one of the episodes or issues, rather, he shot the Joker with a shotgun. Yep. You know, he's always got mm-hmm. some tough old man why does he have that well because from a storytelling standpoint if he's sitting on a stack of fate chips yeah exactly (laughs) and if if him just constantly getting bowled over it's a boring ass story it's annoying and so if he was playing batman's got like one fate chip and a ton of powers and abilities the guy playing alfred has like seven and when the joker comes in it's like Boot fate chip. Well, I happen to be near the old trusty <laughs> blunderbuss. Blunderbuss, <laughs> and yeah, and okay. Well, the Joker's gonna bloop fate chip. No, he isn't. And you know, it's like, and then you're like some casino poker player, and you shove this pound. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, really? Yeah, you're gonna play this. <laughs> but you know, the point though being though, I think that it simulates something at the metagame level, which is still the kind of story you're trying to tell and the kind of characters you're yeah. trying to represent. Well, and that's why I in say the that- case of dread. 
Dread simulates the feel. It makes yes. you nervous. It makes Dread you, yeah. simulates the nervousness I, of watching a horror movie. I yep. can't scare you as a game master. I can't. Not legally or ethically. <laughs> no, exactly. I can't because there's a separation. There's me and then my game that I have on the table. Then there's you and then your character that is on the table. And the character might get scared and the setting might be scary, but I can't scare Wayne. Yeah. I can influence him through his character. That's about it. That's what Dread does. You're, you're right. You know, yep. Dread creates tension and fear and sweat and that pulse yep. and in know, the player, not in the character. And, yeah. in the, in the player. Well, and the couple of times I've played a Dread based game and for anyone who's not familiar with Dread or it's family of games, the mechanic is you don't have dice or usually don't. Mm-hmm. You typically just have a Jenga tower. And each time you do something, you are asked to draw a certain number of bricks from the Jenga tower and place them back on top like you would in a normal game of Jenga. And as the tower becomes increasingly unstable, that typically represents something in the story. Mm-hmm. You know, in the case of Chad wrote a sort of Inception spinoff RPG, it represents the likelihood of the dreamer realizing it's yeah. a dream or waking up or their subconscious mind retaliating against mm-hmm. you. You know what I love doing as a player in a game that's using a Jenga tower? I'm the person that will push it a little bit out and then flick it so it goes <laughs> flying across the table and everyone freaks out. Yeah. And Chad has seen me do it, too. It, people are just, they're all so tense, tense, and boop. Yep. Which is actually one of the better ways to draw. It really is. Mo- it depends on the Jenga set, but many Jenga sets, they're waxed or polished. Mm-hmm. So you actually, there's not a whole lot of uh, friction to them. Mm-hmm. So flicking them out is actually a really good way of doing that. But, yeah, I mean, I still think Dread does simulate something. But, you know, if you look at D&D, D&D does a great job of simulating heroic fantasy. Right. Now, D&D is not a highly simulationist game, at least in the sense that it's not terribly realistic. You know, but then the stories aren't, aren't terribly realistic. realistic. Right. I want them to be. It, it does what it's supposed to do, which is it is a way to basically play out the epic poems. You can play out Beowulf. You can play out... Lamort de Arthur, you know, you can play out the Iliad and the Odyssey. This is what that game does and does a great job of simulating that, of, of capturing that feel. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could play Jason and the Argonauts in Skies of Glass. It would be no. a very, very <laughs> yeah. different sort of story. Yeah. And it kind of get back to my thought around there's a lot of ways you can do it, and it all comes down to that first question of what are you trying to simulate? Yeah, what do you or what is that about? feel? What is the important thing? Or what is the game you're running missing? Yes, that's another good way to put it. Uh, my first thought is you just haven't tried enough games yet because there's uh, there are enough games out there where whatever you're trying to do, someone has already thought mm-hmm. of before and has probably came up with their own set of rules for that. And a lot of them are really bad. <laughs> I've tried this. I've done a lot of these homebrews that people have already released out there. Sure. Some but- of them have been horrendous sure but you know take your list of things that you Mm want to do with that i didn't actually hear it before the recording here my first thought was have you tried exalted everything you're saying right there just it's you know they address that i stopped halfway through the list because there's more but no i don't think exalted okay well let me stop let me give two counterpoints there and i'm going to go ahead and presuppose that there is a game that fits. So let, for a moment, I'm just going to accept the premise. Yes. Yeah. Prima facie or how it's pronounced. I'm, I'm just going to accept that on its face. That let's just go ahead and say 
whatever you want to simulate, there's a system that does it. And even if I accept that, I, I would have two counterpoints. One is I'd go back to where I started, which is maybe the person simply enjoys playing with the math and the numbers and such. And creating the system is as much entertainment to them as creating a setting or whatever. But I think the second thing that I would go to is one of the things that is wonderful about our current age of RPGs is the number of people that can be involved in the creation, publication, and publicization, so releasing to the public, of role-playing games. All right, there is an inordinate number of systems out there from the really, really big ones like D&D down through the mid-tier, you know, like Shadowrun, Battletech, Exalted, and such. You and pick a property, I guarantee you somebody has made a system for it. Well, It, it may it, be official, it may not be official. Right. But I think my question would be, what is your free time and bankroll to research all of that? Mm. I mean, there may be an obvious choice you know about, right? You want a telepic fantasy, obviously a good place to start is why not use D&D, and maybe there's a good reason. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm sure we could sit here and go back and forth with a list of role-playing games, and especially the more obscure, the deeper we get in a drive through RPG. <laughs> We're going to start finding yeah. a lot of things that, you know, and... Over the years of running the, this podcast, we've had people write in and say, well, you guys are talking about this idea and how such and such game doesn't do it, but this title over mm-hmm. here nails it. And maybe it does. I'm not saying yeah. it doesn't, but I don't have either the time or money to have an exhaustive knowledge of every system any jackass has ever <laughs> created, yeah. even if it is the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, so like I've never played Traveler. Right. You know, I'm, I'm sure Traveler is a great game. People play it, love it. But I personally have never played Traveler, apart from having been told it's fairly hard sci-fi. I could not tell you, does it encapsulate the things I care about? Would it be a good system for telling, let's say, something like The Expanse? I don't know is the honest answer, because I, I don't own it. I haven't played it. I don't have anything against it. It's just finite bandwidth of consumption. So let's look at two aspects of this. But one is what Wayne's saying, one is what Dale's saying. So Wayne is saying, you know, I have this concept, but I don't have a rule system. I found a couple of rule systems that are specifically made for this concept. Yeah. And I don't really care for them or they're not really working for me. Or I've found a couple of different rule systems that I can piece together to do what I want. Sure. You know, yeah. like I can do whatever that sex monster, monster hearts. Monster hearts. I can do some stuff with <laughs> monsters. Well, think about it this way. It's, I want that to be an endorsement quote in the book. That sex monster, Chad, from Fear the Birds. So think about it this way. Power Rangers is about big robots and all that sort of stuff yeah. and relationships. Yeah. It's about... So, Teenagers and problems yep. and drama. And we're, and we're adults, so we don't need to make a PG TV show role-playing game, so there's going to be sex. Okay. And so we're if gonna, it's a game about me banging Amy Jo Johnson in her prime, I'm in. Yeah, but it's Amy Jo Johnson played by Wayne. Okay. I'm <laughs> yeah, confused. Yeah. <laughs> I can hold the picture in front of my face. <laughs> and for anyone that doesn't know, that's the original Pete Cranger on the yeah. Mighty Morphin version. So, you, so Wayne has the idea of, I'm going to take some of the relationship stuff from Monster Hearts, yeah. and I'm going to combine it with... But uh, Monster Hearts would be really horrible for big robots. Right, yeah, exactly. So I'm going to take this exalted sort of robot big battle stuff, because I don't want to do Battletech, because that's totally off-genre on it. So I'm going to take some of that and put together and make this system I want. So the problem with that... Now, that's mm-hmm. a good idea. I've done it before. I know other people have done it before. It's a great idea. But the problem with that is 
I'm going to use your phrase. When the rubber hits the road, yeah, yep, is it going to work? Because it's going to. It sounds great in your mind. You know, I will, and yes, and this is certainly going to be a mark back on the Dale column here mm-hmm. of these rules. May, are probably haven't been play tested, right? I don't know because they've just been freshly duct taped together, right? Yeah. You, you don't know how good the person writing them is at imagining the possibilities. You know what happens if somebody does this, this, and this at the same time. And suddenly the rules just spiral out of control. Well, and even if it's something where you completely separated them all, let's go back to how you used to do Mech Warrior and then Battletech. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You're in the Zord, we're doing Exalted. You're out of the Zord, we're doing doing that crazy. Yeah, you're doing Monster Sacks. The problem you run into there that would bother me is now you have two or three different character sheets. Right. And you start to get paper sprawl. And that's something I've always thought about when I was thinking about adding systems together is I hate when you have like four or five pages to your character sheet. I want a character sheet, one one sheet, maybe front and back, but I want it to be simple. I don't want to have to set it to the side and grab a new sheet. So let's look at the other side of this, too. Let's look at at Dale's argument, I guess, Mm -hmm. of there is a system out there for you. Absolutely. And that is the great thing about role-playing game hobbies now. It's not 1982. There's not three role-playing games. Exactly. We have this whole internet. It's searchable. And people just pound this stuff out. Yeah, sure, there's a lot of crap out there. But you can sift through it. You can look for recommendations. You can go on forums, discords, Reddit, Facebook, wherever. Give me... You can crowdsource the the question. Just go to your your local convention and uh, just play anything you can find that isn't D&D or Pathfinder. Well, there's also a difference between something like that that's going to be at a convention, something that's been put together and planned versus just a random website online that some guy put right. together. Yeah. There are quality variants along the line. So yeah. I wouldn't recommend going the random website. I'd go with something yeah. that's been play-tested, been... Yeah, because so, we've done both. Yeah. So we're playing Exalted in the, the Power Rangers thing. Uh, we're making it work. It's going really good. And a lot of the players have ideas for stuff they want to do. Like, not on camera. All right. You know, outside the Zords, uh, not with the crazy relationship thing where Dan has the weirdest boner ever looking at Wayne. Sure. He's holding <laughs> yeah. a picture in, his, in front of his face. But they want to develop things. They want to develop relationships with other NPCs. Yeah. Maybe they want to enhance their Zord. Maybe they want to do a lot of research into the past because they made a 50-page background that they've forgotten the details of. And so they need a project to delve into their own character. Blaze in the Dark. Powered by the Apocalypse. Project Clocks. Great idea. Yeah, I really project, like that. The yeah. project clocks. Project clocks awesome. ha- are great for projects, yep. for off-camera stuff like this. So we take Exalted and we put project clocks in it. And the project clocks, we do it in such a way that where it actually mechanically affects the Exalted rules. Don't have a whole bunch of character sheets and stuff. It's just a little extra bookkeeping for those who want it. Both Wayne's and Dale's views are right and good. It is the devil's in the details. Exactly. Yeah. How it's handled. Yeah, and I always like the idea of if you find one really good mechanic that you love, I would put yeah. project and put it in. I exactly. put project clocks in every single game I play. Yeah, if the players want to do it, why stop them? It's great. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I, I say I don't know how much of it I can lift. I don't know how Blades is copyrighted mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know what what framework it's under, but. With an Epoch of Rysos, my own sci-fi you game. You can't copyright a pie chart. 
No, I guess that's fair. Yeah, you really can't. Much. Yeah, so I mean, you know, and actually, I've never played Blaze in the Dark, so if I can sit down before anyone explains the mechanic to me <laughs> and write up my own rules for it, that will be divergent enough to Here's not what be you inspired. Do, you're not going to use pie charts. Yeah. You're going to do Venn diagrams. There you go. Oh, and and when you fill go. out Cute every charts. area... Like, this is going to be an easy one. There's only two circles. A hard one, there's three. Mm-hmm. Well, now there's four circles, and you have to fill out That's the true. outside. Oh, it's, and then God, it's the, aspect. aspect. so, it's so the aspects of the project. The, the yeah. center point is your ultimate goal. Yep. Yeah. So, oh, like, if you I want to finish this. pieces of it as you go. So, okay, so jokes you, aside, I actually yeah. really like this. And then you get <laughs> you get the advantage of the piece. If it's, like, a big yeah. project, yeah. you yeah. could do partials. Yeah. So, like, if you want to build a robot... Robot, completed robot, is in the, the middle. Yep. But, like, I need Hanamoto cannon, big armor. And then, like, and then the personality the per- chips yeah, yeah. or something but like that are all separate. you only do the top two, so you don't get the robot, so you get the armor and the Hanamoto cannon. Because that part's completed. Yep. But there's a section where those cross over, and now you get whatever that crossover right. is. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Wayne, you have just... So, how are we, how are we saying that? Is this Creative Commons? Oh, it's on Fear the Boot. It's already Creative Commons. Yeah, so technically that. Well, I don't well, know. We just... Re- no, well, there's a whole thing right now about... into the world. <laughs> cans. Well, you know, it's fine. If, if we released it, it's one of two things. Either it's ours or it's Creative Commons. Either way, I can use it. So, yeah. Yeah. la-di-da, yeah. f*** and, you, John uh, Harper. Well... <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> no, I, we have no. We, John Harper is a good guy. I'm just being a, a being unless a having a beef with him is going to get us more listeners. Yeah, I don't you know. know. I, or, then we could get a beef. I mean, if he wants to run with that, I mean, good. I we've, mean, we've had productive... the Kickstarter. Maybe we should engineer a beef with him. Yeah, I say <laughs> we've had we've had pretty productive beefs with yeah. uh, Happy Jacks mm-hmm. and. So, you know, <laughs> Dragon's Landing, Dragon's yeah. landing in and the Innies. Yeah, one that was a little less funny with the Innies, but nonetheless. Hey, John, are you going to come to Fear the Con? Oh, if he does, yeah. Oh, we absolutely will have a beef then. Yeah. He's going to. By beef, you mean we're going to go out with with him to get steak? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you meant Wendy's. <laughs> so, anyway, okay, so wait, I, I think you're on to a, a good idea there with trying to look at what it is you're trying to represent. All right, so let yeah, me let so, me back up to one of your examples, okay. if you don't mind me hijacking, yep. which is you talked about in what is that genre called? I know it's a genre for like Power Rangers, Super Sentai, Super, oh, Super Sentai, Super Sentai, yeah, Sentai. Sentai you're right. Super, yeah, Super Sentai. Okay, so the Super oh, Saiyan is Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, so this the yeah. Super Sentai, Sentai. Okay, so that for anyone who's not familiar, I knew the word but couldn't remember. Kamen Rider, all that. Yeah, sort of stuff. yeah so like G Force slash Battle of the Planet slash Science Ninja Team Gachaban, whichever title you prefer, Voltron. Power Rangers, wherever you have this team of color-coded individuals, and there's the brash leader and the pretty girl and the big guy and the little kid and whatever, it's a... And they probably have robots that come together yeah, to form a bigger robot. Somehow they're... Yeah, exactly. They come together, I think, in G-Force slash Battle of the Planets slash whatever. It was a set of vehicles. But yeah, the point being, though, that that's a whole genre of things. Now, one of the things, not all of them, but many of them have in common is there is an end point where they succeed that, depending on how well or poorly it's written, is always the same. You know Voltron is going to form Blazing Sword. In the original, original. yeah, the remake, they did a much better job of explaining the diversity of options. But in the original, you knew everything in that episode was basically treading water between the introduction of the villain and forming Blazing Sword to cut it in half. Everything in the middle was just treading water between those two bookends. Obviously, even as kids, we asked the question, why don't you just start there? 
this witch releases yet some new obnoxious thing on our planet. Why don't we just go ahead, start off with Voltron and the Blazing Sword, and then we'll work on something else if that doesn't yeah. do the trick. And that was something on my list is you have to have the big weapon yeah. that you, for some reason, can't use at the beginning of the fight. Like, there's nothing in the story that prevents you from using it. I want to make sure there's a mechanic that prevents let, let you from you, using it and builds up your excitement yeah, to let using me, it. Yeah, let me give you a sample mechanic, since... Well, um, All right, well, here, I'll go with one. Okay. Okay, to go back to the Exalted example okay. for a second, Exalted has something called combos, where you take a number of charms, or your powers as a character, and then you combine them in such a way that it does something that you can't do otherwise. So you can always set that up, you can uh, you can set up your combo such that it requires you to do X things beforehand in order to pull it off. So you could do that. In yeah. There. And the actual base game itself doesn't have the exact charm you're looking for, but you can write that to do whatever it is you want to yeah, do. Yeah, that's just something I've also seen in games like War Machine or Hordes or a couple other games, is that as things go on, you have either a building or a dwindling die pool that represents the increase of intensity as a situation unfolds. So I guess it's kind of the inverse of what a Dread Jenga Tower does in that the longer things go on, the better off you are. I suppose maybe a good example would be Inspectors, where each die you gain is a clue towards solving the mystery. Well, I was going to say the kind of similar to that is the field Dresden was going for with Fate. The idea is when you go through the Dresden books... Harry Dresden gets beat up throughout the book. He will end up doing something big and amazing and somehow win. The mechanic for that in the game is wizards don't have many fate chips. So they have to have bad things happen to them so they get compels and fate chips. And it's kind of that same concept of you've got to build up before you can do your big cool thing by going through the beating. Hmm. You know what else is like that? Oddly enough, James Bond books. The old Ian Fleming originals. The uh, movies, not so much. Movies are just him being cool and cool and more cool. And he gets captured. Oh, no, it's just an excuse for him to be cool again. The books are not like that at all. The books are James gets the crap kicked out of him and loses. He is always behind the eight ball. He is always losing. And then the big thing at the end, usually he doesn't have anything to do with it. It's somebody else comes in and saves his ass or the enemy fails in a spectacular way, giving him an opening. There's no gadget, super laser, super power, super ninja stuff that he does. In the case of like a fake game, that would be him spending the The, the fake fake chips chips. against them. Exactly. But yeah, that goes back to Dan's fate really does Mm -hmm. do a good job of simulating some of these genre stories just by the very nature of the fate chips themselves. Well, fate does a good job of that because it is a simulation. Now, it's not a simulation in the fact of like advanced squad leader. You know, I have these guys and they have these guns and 32 bullets and this sort of thing. It is simulating you, the player, are an author and you're writing a story and I'm going to tell you a secret. Authors cheat. (laughs) Authors know that they need to have their character standing here and doing this and saying this to make this happen. And they need to do it in a natural, organic way that makes sense in the story. So they cheat because they know what's going to happen because they're saying what's going to happen. In a normal role-playing game, you are not an author writing your character's story. You are like an actor playing your character. In Fate, Because you have the fate chips, you use the fate chips to write 
that story. You're simulating being an author. Yeah, I know it's obviously a whole lot more slapstick. Inspectors works the same yeah. way. Oh, absolutely. Because, In fact, more so. Yeah, because you describe your successes, you describe your failures, you have the confessional chip mm-hmm. that you yeah. can drop to completely take over as the sole narrator of the story. Yep. It does absolutely simulate something. It's just not an in-game, in-world concept. Well, in both it's, of them, your characters do have stats that make a difference versus in, say, Dread, you have no stat. Mm-hmm. I want a character that's good at something to be more likely to be good at it. Well, so, okay, let's let's play with that for a minute. Let's say, in a typical Dread game, an easy task is pulling one brick and a difficult mm-hmm. task is two and a really difficult task is three or something right. to that effect. You know, you can gauge that to however quickly you want the tower to fall. But let, let's just pretend that's the case. So one, two, and three, okay? is That's your scale. Now, I could have something like I have numerical stats in front of me, and based on that, I get to subtract, a, or I'm forced to add a certain number of draws. So if I go to do a strength task, I automatically get one brick discounted because I'm a really strong guy. Perfect example. You're Arnold Schwarzenegger. I give you a task that needs strength. It's going to be a three. You get a two bonus. You only need to pull one. I give you a task that's going to be reading a piece of dialogue and having someone understand what you're saying. Especially in his early (laughs) career. (laughs) Now, instead of a one, you're doing three. Yeah, exactly. And so I think you could take Dread and hijack it you know, not totally homebrew the thing, but just house rule in. Check out my game uh, Lucid because there are character classes and the character classes have different mechanical effects on how pulls. Yeah, and, it, you know, it wouldn't have to be numbers. I was using numbers as an mm-hmm. example, but you could do other descriptive or qualitative things of, you know, you have a certain number of draws that you don't have to do or you can displace draws. or I, I don't even know what. I'll link to Chad's stuff in the show notes you want to check that out but the point being though that you can still manipulate that concept in some way that doesn't require completely rewriting the game you're just inserting a house rule into the middle i mean maybe a somewhat even revolutionary house rule but it's still kind of to me at least feels like a plug and play module of rules you know to the game well it's the same way that uh the guys that did expanse you know they plug and played their own space combat system into it but as far as i know otherwise left d20 modern more left alone and in the same way you could leave dread completely alone except put in a shifting mechanic for how you draw that kind of goes back to when i hear a lot of people talk about the things that they've homebrewed into their systems or things they've modified i think there is a real tendency for at least a subset of people to take a look at one little thing that's not working like you want and create a system that's as complex as the entire game system <laughs> yeah. to do that one thing. Yeah. When you can just step back and say, but all you really want is a plus or minus, just homebrew the plus or minus into it. But then right. just homebrew, just do roll high. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, or if you want to go a little step farther, some years back, I brewed up my own, and I'm not the only person to do this. This is one of the most common things to be homebrewed for D&D is a critical miss to go alongside the critical hits. What happens when you roll a one? And I believe the default rule, depending on addition, is just you simply missed. And there is no critical miss. But a lot of people, myself included, have homebrewed critical miss charts, where if you roll a one, then I went over, in my case, to a secondary table that set everything from 
you could have damaged your weapon to drop mm-hmm. your weapon to tripped and you're losing a turn to, you know, who knows what the enemies were just as susceptible to this as you were. So it was fair all the way around. So I have a personal example of this. That is one of those. This may even be an awkward confession kind of thing. Oh boy. Uh-oh. Did you have a music stinger? For I did. I don't know if I still have it or not. So, so do you remember when you and John used to talk about monostat? Yeah, it was John's thing, but yes, yep. yeah, we talked about it. Was it was going to create a system where you have one stat, and your one stat is your goodness stat. Yes, you're good. I sat down, and I wrote this system. You would think, a couple lines. I found this file the other day. It's a three-page file where I gave alternate different versions of how you could do monostat. I did a full, huge write-up on it, and then I got to the end, and I looked over it, and I said, I just did three pages for what was a throwaway joke. This is ridiculous. (laughs) You could just say roll high, roll low. Right. Yep. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2019. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.